Americas, live and underway here on ESPN Plus. On a Wednesday of all days, alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar. Her, can you believe, can you believe that they bumped us for checks of programming notes? NBA playoffs, very disappointing. The audacity. It's my Lakers, so mm. if I say anything, they will find me. Okay, okay. You're, are, you a, are you going Lakers over Warriors, just to get that on the record? They might go... Mil veces. I have to say it okay. a thousand times over. Will it happen? That's another story. Okay. Okay. We know where your loyalties lie, at least when it comes to basketball. Soccer, it's a different question. We got a lot coming up on this show. An interview with Joe Scally. Herc, you uh, tweeted a little snippet of that interview. I tweeted as, the tame stuff. Okay. As your tweets show, though, there will be lots to discuss from that interview. We're also moments away from being joined by Jill Ellis. She'll be going into the National Soccer Hall of Fame this weekend down in Frisco, Texas. Part of a great class, by the way, the class of 2023. We're going to preview the Liga Mekis playoffs, the play-in, really, which, of course, uh, starts this weekend. We'll check the mentions. Wow card. And uh, a few other things that we'll get to towards the end of the show. But, Herc, we got to start... Unfortunately, uh, with my wallet, which is quite a bit lighter after Tuesday's CONCACAF Champions League final, semifinal, second leg between LAFC and the Philadelphia Union. Early on, this one got crazy. Alejandro Bedoya taking out Palacios, only got a yellow her. Yeah, 90 seconds in, that's a straight red. Uh, Bedoya is one of the good guys in this league, but he, he committed a mistake here. Lucky not to be sent off. There's VAR here. I don't know how this didn't get overturned. So of course, uh, 1-1 after the first leg. LAFC taking the lead here. Timothy Tillman in the 13th minute hurt. Yeah, it's Tillman with the goal, but look at this crazy save by Andre Blake. That ball's behind him, but somebody help him out. LAFC up 2-1 on aggregate, 23rd minute. Great chance for Philly. Daniel Gazdak, John McCarthy the save. Big John McCarthy. I'm not talking about the referee. I'm talking about the goalkeeper. Makes himself big, puts a paw on it. Oh, Gazdak, it was yours. Still 1-0 LAFC in the second half. Olivier Mbaizo, a Philly with the foul. He was already on a yellow. That's his second. He got hurt. Mbaizo, this is this was just a silly foul. He's already sitting on the yellow. Boanga's gone. He's going towards the sideline. You gotta let him go. LAFC looking for a second. They find it. Carlos Vela de Cuadro Opoku in the 82nd minutes. Opoku with a great ball from Carlos Vela and then just smashes it. Nothing Andre Blake can do about this. LAFC adding another in the 90th minute. Then Ibawanga finishing things off. 3 nothing, 4-1 on aggregate. Uh, More post-game reaction from LA. Yeah, we are ecstatic to be in the final of this competition. Uh, It's a competition that was highlighted on our calendar, um, as well as the MLS for sure, the first half of the season. And um, so far we've accomplished um, the goals that we've set for ourselves and uh, there's one more to go. And um, I can share with you, you know, the atmosphere in the, in the locker room right now is obviously a happy one, um, but also a focused one and a hungry one. Um, this team wants to win a final now. Um, the way we approached the game was to try to score uh, and win. Uh, of course, when we don't score, Questions like yours will come up, and that's natural. Uh, but to say that we didn't try to score is, is silly. Um, if you look at the opponent, it's probably the best team you could argue in our league's history. Um, so, yes, they, they beat us. Um, but when you uh, are critical of my team, please have the caveat we got beat by arguably the best team in our league's 
history. Okay, Eric, lots to talk about when it comes to this game. Let's start, though, with Jim Curtin's comments there. LAFC, the best team we've ever seen in MLS. What do you make of it? No, but let me address Jim Curtin when he talks about when you critique his team. Mm-hmm. We're not going to start with you lost to arguably the best MLS soccer team in its history, like you said. We're going to say you had it. It was yours, mm. and you let it go. Leg one in Philly. You could have put that game away. You did not, which is why you're in this situation. Yes, LAFC is a very good team, so let me answer your question. No, they're not the best team in history. Uh, That title still goes to the 2017 Toronto FC team in my book. Um, And you could argue maybe a few others your D.C. team was a very good team. But let me make a case for Toronto FC, and I'll get out to your D.C. team. Toronto FC, um, let's see, 2017, they won the Supporters' Shield the Canadian Championship, MLS Cup, and then went on to beat America and Tigres to get to the final of the CONCACAF Champions League versus Chivas, where they tied on aggregate and lost in penalty kicks, a few injuries along the way, et cetera, et cetera. But that team was stacked. You look at the players, you look how well they played, you look at the brand, you look at the style, you look at everything they did and accomplished. That's the team that I hold the bar as the best team in Major League Soccer's history. I know you're going to say the 1997-98 uh, team, but 1998 didn't win MLS Cup. Um, they didn't win the Open Cup. Uh, they did go on to win the version of the CONCACAF Champions Cup, today's CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, and then after that, got to play with a Gremio um, in that intercontinental final. Vasco de Gama. Vasco de Gama, so apologies. And beat them, yes. Very, very good team. Lots of stars. Pretty much put Major League Soccer uh, on the path it is on today. Uh, But this LAFC team, very good team. Very good team. They won MLS Cup last year. Yes. Very good game. To Philly, by the way. It was that even. They went to penalty kicks. They won a Supporters' Shield last year. On goal differential to Philly. Again, Philly. The same team that Jim Curtin's saying, hey, put some nuance into this criticism. Eh, but they got bounced in the Open Cup to the LA Galaxy. This LA Galaxy who today is a shadow of the former self. So they've not won something that could put them into that category yet. They're on the verge of competing for something like that. Yes. But you can't say it right now. Right now, in my eyes, it's still Toronto FC. Okay. So Jim Curtin might be right, right? Because in the hypothetical, I think if you put this LAFC team, yeah, if you put this LAFC team on a field for 90 minutes against any team in MLS history, they might be the greatest team ever. He He could make that argument, which is effectively what he's saying in this piece. What you can argue are the achievements. It's premature for him to be calling this LAFC team the greatest MLS team in history. I accept your argument about Toronto. It's a fine one, but they don't have what LAFC still doesn't have, and that's a continental title. If you're going to compare greatest MLS teams of all time, and we put the CCL title as, as the North Star, then the teams that have won that, and by the way, we can't forget about Seattle, are still ahead of the teams that haven't won it yet. And the Galaxy. Yeah. And, and, and that's why this kind of bothers me coming from Jim Curtin, because it's the timing of it, Herc. This is not about how well LAFC played or how great they were in defeating the Philadelphia Union. This is damage control. Uh, from Curtin. And, and, and I don't like that. I think he has to look at this to your point and say, we didn't do the job mm. here. Not start this story, make the lead paragraph, LAFC is the greatest team ever. I, I don't like that from a manager, given the timing of it. I've never read that book. And I'm a, I'm a Jim Curtin stan account here. 
I, I, he's one of my two mea culpas in my career as a mm. pundit. Um, I'm a fan of his, but this book of, of Things Losers Say, I, I don't. I don't contribute to this book. I've never read this book. I don't subscribe. This isn't a Jim Curtin type of thing for me. So this is new. You had it. It was yours. Yeah. And you let it go. It was game one. It was game one. It was right there in your home. And you let it go. Yeah. And this wasn't LAFC at their best, right? That's the bottom line. If you're going to come out and say the greatest MLS team in history ever, we should have just seen them at their best. They weren't at their best. You had a chance to beat them. Speaking of best, Herc, this LAFC team is going to be compared, whether they like it or not, to last year's. LAFC team. Is this year's team better? Whew. You could argue that. They're deeper for sure. Listen, they lost Chicho Arango to, to Pachuca. That was their leading goal scorer last year. Um, they lost Gareth Bell, their MLS Cup hero. And Denny Boanga, who didn't start heating up until the last game of the season against Portland last season, uh, is now quite frankly, one of the best players, not the best player in CONCACAF at the moment, 14 games played between league and uh, CCL play, and he's got, what, 13 goals, 6-7 assists. Carlos Vela looks like he's turning back the clock. John McCarthy's not even the starter, and he looks to play the parts. Uh, it's easily the deepest team in Major League Soccer. When you look at the back line, I mean, Mourinho, Murillo, uh, uh, Segura, uh, Chiellini, Aaron Long, uh, the list goes on of players that they have. I think this team is better today. They're just deeper. They, they really are. I look at the defense primarily. Now, I know we're only so far into the season, but remember LAFC last year, especially in the second half of the season? And even if you go back to MLS Cup, you know, they give up all those goals to Philadelphia. They were very vulnerable defensively. If you look at LAFC this year, most games, right, three out of four, four out of five games, they're giving up less than two goals. They're not giving up crooked numbers as they did a bunch last year. And we also have to factor in, Herc, remember the run into the playoffs last year, how, how shaky this LAFC team looked? You, you were all but convinced we were going to see kind of a New England Revolution-esque fracaso in the yeah. playoffs. They, they, they figured it out and eventually got the job done. But they weren't flying, I don't think, no. last year like this team is flying. And there's one guy that i got to point out because it is a lot of the same guys maybe who are performing better than they were last year. But my God, Herc, Timothy Tillman. I mean, this dude is a, is a different level player. When I saw they signed him, I thought, okay, this is a flyer. Dude, this guy's really good. He's not far from, I don't think, um, some folks starting to talk about him in the national team conversation. As they should. He's doing very well, and he's U.S. Men's National Team eligible. It's him and Cifuentes in that spot, and Cifuentes is one of my favorite players in Major League Soccer. And lately, I'm asking myself, why is he still on the team? Why is he still on the roster if you have Timothy Thillman? You can afford to sell him. All right, so let's, um, let's get into Philadelphia. All right, we've talked enough about LAFC. This is not the first time, Herc, that this team under Jim Curtin has made a deep run in a tournament and come away without any hardware. What do you think it is about the Philadelphia Union that they can't quite get over the hump? I don't know. I have zero clue because everything's there they're a very difficult team to play against we understand that right they've got this model that's moneyball-esque and they do very smart signings they don't have the biggest stars they don't pay the biggest amount of money the salaries etc yet they produce very good players goalkeeper of the year andre blake two defenders of the year uh, arguably an mvp snub in gazdag uh, you've got all types of very good playmakers on this team coach of the year in, in jim Curtin. And yet you can't get over the hump. You, you, you can't win when it matters. I 
really don't know, Seb. I don't know what to say to make you understand why Philly can't get over the hump. I don't, I don't know. I was so hurt, disappointed in Philly yesterday. Not just because I had not one, but I guess now $200 um, on the line. Going into the second leg, and obviously they're not at full strength. Fair enough, you're on the road. You had to get a goal. You then give up a goal, right? So you, you have to chase everything. And I know they get a red card on the hour mark, but I never felt like Philly was closer to their first goal than LAFC was to the second. And that to me is so disappointing. I don't know that I can point to Jim Curtin at fault, but I can point to the subs that he, I want to say didn't make. Did not right? make. He makes a defensive sub at the hour mark off the red card. He doesn't make an attacking sub until 78, you know, 78, 79th minute. That's for me too late. But then I think, well, what does he have on the bench? And that's what I think really it comes down to here is Jim Curtin hasn't won yet other than a supporter shield with the Philadelphia Union. I don't think you can say that Jim Curtin is the problem with Philly. I think you might actually say the way the union spend might be holding Jim Curtin back. Because remember how much praise we gave him, Herc, last year for 27th out of 28 in spending and how, how much value they got. When you really get to the, the big games and the big competitions, you need that depth. And you could see last night, Herc, there was a big gap from Philly to LAFC. There was, and, and, and that comes down to money. I don't think that's down to coaching, and I don't think that's down to the talent in the, in the starting 11s. I'll say this respectfully. I saw a lot of discourse about if they only had Corey Burke. Like, they're arguing for player of Corey Burke's caliber, to your point about mm -hmm. what they don't have on the bench. You look at, because we're talking about the depth. We're talking about, oh, we have Martinez. Jose Martinez wasn't available for Philadelphia. You're going down the list. Chiellini was out. You're going down the list. Uh, Murillo comes out injured. Maldonado uh, ends up coming on to play. That's a project right there. They're just deeper everywhere. So when you have that type of luxury on your bench, and the difference is so minute between two good teams, that's going to come into play. Because you look at the fi last five times before this game that they played against each other, they're all ties. That's what separated. What separated Philly from an MLS Cup? Penalty kicks. So Philadelphia Union then going home after the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. LAFC moving on to the final, of course, second leg between Tigres and Leon just about to start. So the uh, winner of that semifinal will meet LAFC in a two-leg semifinal. First leg later this month, second leg early in June. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI 
to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Here is uh, Scally chasing the uh, American teenager named on the Golden Boy shortlist. Had a real breakout season last year. Joe Scally. To Joe Scally. This is Joe Scally. And the shot is off the bar this time. And Joe Scally got a cut goal last week. Joe Scally to bludgeon goal number eight for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Joining us next here on Football Americas, a repeat guest on the show, Joe Scally of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Joe, great to have you with us. Congratulations on the new contract. As we always like to say on this show, get this man paid. And it happened. Yeah, thank you. You know, I'm happy to be back. Like you said, you know, this is a great show. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. All right, so let's get into the contract. Obviously, it's a sign of faith from the club. But for you, there's a decision to be made there. What goes into that decision? Yeah, I mean, this club so far has given me everything, you know, since I moved over when I was 18 years old. You know, what they told me happened. It's not like there was any miscommunication you know they're giving me games in the Bundesliga which is a top league you know I'm still 20 years old and yeah this is a great place for me to be and keep developing my game what's next for you in terms of staying on that development path like if you look at I I made it this far by 20 what are the next steps that you have to take that you'll take at Gladbach yeah I mean still you know the year I came I was with the second team and they were in the Champions League you know around 16 this is something that of course, I want to play in. I want to play in it with Gladbach. So hopefully next season, you know, we get we get everything right and we're back in those European spots, which is something I, I'd love to be in. When you think about kind of extending your contract with the club, I'm sure there's the other side of it, which is let me test the waters. Let me see what else is out there. Did that cross your mind? And, and what were those thoughts like? Yeah, I mean, my contract, you know, the initial one was until 2026. So it wasn't so much of, you know, exploring other options, you know, like I said, this team is is giving me games in the Bundesliga. Of course, there's other interests in other leagues, but this is a place I know I can I can develop my game. Of course, at one point in my career, would I love to play in England or you know another league? Yes, you know I've I've said it before. England, of course, is a destination I'd love to play in. And yeah, you know, right now at this point in my career, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be playing with this team. Why England? I mean, the language. Uh, uh, the Premier League, I think, right now is the best league. You know, it has the best competition, best players. So I think that's definitely the main reason why. When you look at Gladbach, why do you think you've been so successful there? Like you said, the path that the club laid out for you is pretty much exactly what happened. Why? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they gave trust in me. And I think that just brought the best out of me. You know, when you get trust from a coach, from a you know, from the manager, staff, everything like that. It's, you know, it gives you confidence going on the field. And yeah, like I said, what they said, I kind of just followed in that path and it all worked out. So, I mean, they trust me. I trust them. Do you remember the player you were when you got there? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely doubting myself because I did barely played in MLS. You know, I was just on the, the youth national teams. That was really my main thing where I was getting games. So yeah, I was just just a young 18-year-old with with not a lot of uh, experience. And what changed? I guess trust from the club, you know. 
Whereas in MLS, for some reason, you know, I just this didn't get games. You know, the coaching staff didn't trust me. And then I came here and it was like a, a whole different ballpark. What do you think that's down to? Because logically, I, I think most people say, okay, Bundesliga is better than MLS. So young players should have an easier time getting yeah. minutes and opportunities in MLS. Yeah. It's not that way you're saying. Yeah, I think it's tough coming from the youth teams into the first team. You know, you're not looked at, I feel the same as a player who's been there, who's established in their in their 20s, you know. So I think that was definitely a big part of it where, you know, maybe I was looked at as just a young academy kid who is training and, and that's it. So I think that's definitely a big part of it. What's the difference in Joe Scally today versus the guy that arrived at Gladbeck? Yeah, I think a lot, you know, I, just personally, I grew up a lot, you know, I came here during Corona where everything was closed down and moved, not knowing the language, you know, I was young, still young, but, you know, young, shy, didn't really like to test the waters where now, you know, I've I moved to a whole different country, you know, I can understand another language, I can get around, I, I can do everything, you know, without my family. So, you know, personal wise, I think I've definitely just grown up a lot. And then, you know, in soccer, I've, you know, I've played now over 50 games in the Bundesliga, played in the Pokal. So as a player, I just gained so much experience, you know, in these atmospheres, playing against Bayern Munich, Dortmund, all these teams where, you know, a lot of the other guys that don't get to get this experience. So I'm just a, I would say, much more experienced player. Speaking of languages, how is your German? I don't know if you saw the video, Emmy Martinez, the goalie for Argentina at the World Cup, yeah. was talking about how when he got to England, there was a bonus in his contract, I think like 20,000 pounds to learn English. So uh what are you getting for learning German? Yeah. No, I'm not getting that. That sounds nice. You know, <laughs> that, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's still tough for me to speak, but I could definitely understand most of it. I think the speaking part is where I still have problems. How important is it? Like, forget about fitting in and the culture. I'm sure it's obviously important there, but just from a footballing standpoint is, is German what you hear almost entirely in the dressing room from the technical staff, like, do you really need to have a grasp of the language to survive there? Yeah, yeah, yes and no. You know, I have uh, someone in meetings who, you know, if I don't understand something, will explain it to me because we also have a player from Japan and Denmark who, who both don't speak, you know, full German. And we have French guys who also get translated in French. So training sometimes could be within, you know, three different languages, German, English, and, and French. So if you don't speak German, you're not, you're not dead. But of course, to know it is, is definitely important. Let's talk about the national team. Of course, you're coming off the World Cup in the in the press release when Gladbach says they've they've given you this contract extension. They point out that one of their great sources of pride is that you made the U.S. World Cup team. What was that experience like for you? I'd imagine somewhat of a mixed bag. Yeah, of course. When you you know when you get the call that you're going to a World Cup, it's you know checked off your bucket list. Something as a player, everyone wants to do. So, you know, super excited, over in the moon about this, and then. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't get a minute, but, you know, still to be in this atmosphere, that experience, you know, I keep talking about experience, you know, to get a, a feel, a vibe of the World Cup was definitely important to me and not playing really gave me such motivation to, to be at the next one and just keep working hard because, you know, seeing the starting 11 walk out to a World Cup, you know, there's, there's nothing better than that. There's no better feeling than being one of those 11, I'm sure. So I would love to experience this in the, in the next one. There's a defender for Mexico, uh, Gerardo Arteaga, who had a similar situation to you. And, and he kind of said it felt like I wasn't even there. Um, is there any of that for you? Yeah. You know, of course, you get that feeling where you didn't help the team at all. You know, 
where the team made the round of 16, but it doesn't feel like you did. It's, you know, that feeling definitely crept in my head during the tournament, after the tournament, of course. But, you know, now it's, it's out of my mind and I'm just focused on the next one, really. What was the experience like from the bench, especially that round of 16 game, the game against the Netherlands? I mean, that's kind of the, the high point of the wave, right? Yeah, it's definitely crazy. I mean, the craziest crowd, I would have to say, for the World Cup was definitely against Iran. Uh, you know, the, the place was erupted, you know, with, with Iran's fans, American fans. So this had the best atmosphere, but the round 16 game, nothing beats it because it's, it's one or go home, you know, so... Of course, there's a little bit of that extra edge, you know, that little bit of grit from both teams. It, it was, of course, cool to experience from the bench, but playing in a the game, there's nothing better. So much was made of what happened in the World Cup with Gio Reyna, obviously somebody you know well. Like, what was your perspective on that and how it impacted the team? You know, Gio is one of my best friends, so, you know, I'm always going to stand behind him and, and, you know, he's my friend and I'm never going to go against my friend. So, you know, we're all a team. Everything was worked out within the team. And, you know, that's really, that's really a lot to say. As we move on, obviously U.S. national team looking for a coach right now. If Joe Scali had to say, Hey, like I, I would love this in the next coach. Yeah. What would you put on? What would you put on the sheet? Yeah. I think a coach that definitely understands, you know, we're, we're not a, a club team, you know, where we need to just understand the, you know, simple, simple tactics, simple system that, that we can all apply that brings out the best in <clears throat> all the players, you know, not something to, to where it's too complicated and, you know, you're overthinking on the field because you see videos of other, other teams, you know, it's really the national team, you know, brings the joy out of the game. You're playing for your country, you know, you're just there and that extra fight knowing you have the, the crest on your bed, on your, on your chest should, should bring out everything you need in the game, not confusing tactics and all this. Do you feel like that? was kind of part of the last regime under Greg Berhalter? I think Greg definitely brought his ideas. I think his ideas were good. You know, we definitely played played well in the World Cup. But I think if, yeah, as a player, when you're on the field and you're overthinking things, it's, you know, it leads to silly mistakes and, and silly things where, you know, you're not yourself and you can't express yourself. So I think that was, you know, one of the things that, that didn't work out. Big summer coming up. Uh, Gold Cup, obviously, later on. But Nations League is what looks like will be A versus A. You got USA versus Mexico in the semifinal. I know you're focused on Gladbach. I know you got to run in here for the Bundesliga. But is that circled on your on your calendar? Yeah, of course. You know, I was my first camp I was at, the first game was against Mexico. I went 2-0. I forget. I think it was in Cincinnati, I want to say, but that could be wrong. And yeah, I was on the I wasn't on the roster for that game, actually. So that's a game I want to play in. You know, also as an American, you wanna you wanna go against Mexico, you wanna beat Mexico. So this is, yeah, of course, it's circled on my calendar. 15th. There he is, Joe Scally, June 15th, circled on his calendar uh, in Las Vegas. Joe, great to have you with us here on Football Americas, as always. Thanks for the time. And once again, congratulations on the new contract. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. They're calling it the Football Americas bump. That's, that's uh, how Joe Scally is explaining his contract uh, to his friends. A lot to pick apart, Herc, from that interview. One, my lighting, what was going on there? Uh, but beyond the lighting, uh, what'd you make of Joe Scally's comments, both about the last national team manager, also about MLS? Um, let me start with the last men's national team manager for the U.S. Um, Joe Scally obviously feels that Greg Berhalter is not coming back. This is what I'm getting out of this, because mm -hmm. there is no way he would speak this way if he felt there was a chance that Greg Berhalter would be back. It'd be shooting yourself in the foot. We're, we're both on the same page there, right? Yes? 
I think it's, I see why you make that assumption. I think when you hear what he says and if you read it, it comes across differently, right? No, I don't need to read it. I can see it. I, okay. I can hear it. You understand, and, and, and he may I mean, be he right. He gives Greg Berhalter credit for the team playing well in the World Cup. That's that's like, like saying, with all due respect, Seb, you're an idiot, <laughs> and then right. you get angry. But I say with all due respect, right. you know. It, he's a very young player, very good player, and he may have some truth to what he is saying, and I'll get to that in a second. But him saying it leads me to believe that he doesn't think Greg Berhalter's anywhere near this picture, or he wouldn't say it. You wouldn't put yourself out there that way, uh, leave it open for interpretation. Though I don't think it's open for interpretation. Now, did Greg Berhalter at times run US, the U.S. men's national team, U.S. soccer, like a club team? Absolutely. Were some of his ideas rigid, um, not flexible enough, and complicated for players? Yes, Greg Berhalter even said that. Absolutely. At times, could they benefit from a more pragmatic approach? Absolutely as well. And I would argue in the World Cup, when they did do well, they were more pragmatic. Mm. It wasn't so much nuanced. It wasn't like what we saw in World Cup qualifying. So all those things are valid. Now, going on to Major League Soccer, yes, one would assume that because there's no pro rel, because the risk of actually losing points is less significant on the pressure of the coach or the pressure of the organization, you would have organizations that are more inclined to give younger players a chance. Players with a ceiling like Joe Scally. So it is interesting to me that a team like New York City never went that route, never gave him that opportunity. And you can tell, by the way, he speaks of his time in Major League Soccer in New York City like it was something that he thought should have happened. Yeah, I think it's a bigger problem for the league, right? We're not seeing all these defections to USL and all these moves from USL then to Europe because MLS is opening incredible amounts of doors for all these players. The players are going to USL because MLS has proven that Unless you're, one, elite elite, and two, you play for one of the few teams that really emphasizes youth development and then bringing those kids into the first team. And we know who those teams are, Herc, and you can pretty much name them on one hand, right? The yeah. RSLs of the world, the Philly Unions, the FC Dallases, there's a few others you can throw in there. But MLS is not creating opportunities, and we're not talking about any half-talent here. We're talking about a guy who is crushing it at 20 years old, um, in the Bundesliga. To his international future, Herc, you can tell he's pumped about this game against Mexico. Do you think that with Serginho Des kind of struggling right now at AC Milan, Joe Scali has a chance to start? Well, it would make sense, right? Serginho Des doesn't play at all for Milan. He's not even on the Champions League roster uh, for Milan. Um, he barely made it back to the roster for the regular Serie A games, so he's not played so much. And you saw Serginho Des versus Mexico. Sure, he had that one run, but take that run away. It was a very pedestrian-like performance. He almost, he definitely looked rusty. He looked low in confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he will compete with, and look at this, when you talk about his value, <laughs> most minutes in the top five leagues in Europe, and there, there he is, right? Joe Scally, uh, only second to, to Brendan Aronson. So when you think about the type of player he is and his level right now, you could say, well, it makes it a very easy decision that he may very well play against Mexico, but something tells me it's going to be DeAndre Yedlin again. Mm. And the reason I say DeAndre Yedlin again is if you look at the last five games that the U.S. has been undefeated versus Mexico, DeAndre Yedlin started in three of those. Mm. And I'm talking about the Nations League 3-2 final in Denver, the, the Dolce Cero in Cincinnati, 
Andy settled, settled the 0-0 in El Estadio Azteca, in Azteca Stadium. So something tells me that the old regime and Anthony Hudson still being part of that yeah. saw some value in a DeAndre Yedlin versus whatever winger they had at that moment, and they may go back to that well. It's interesting because Scali's success in the Bundesliga is not something new. Under the, under the past regime, it seemed like that success didn't really lead to playing time with the national team. So I want to see if that changes here because Scali has kept up his part of the bargain, right? He, he's performing in the Bundesliga at a high level, at a solid club, and he's doing it when not a lot of other guys are at that position. So if even with these performances, he's still not getting starting minutes, I think he's got a, a case to be pretty upset. Yeah. Let's stay with American defenders here, Herc, because we got more news on the U.S. back line. And again, it comes in the form, unfortunately, of an injury update. This time we're talking about Cameron Carter-Vickers having himself a, a great season with Celtic in Scotland. He's going to miss three to four months due to knee surgery, first reported by our friends over at SBI Soccer. Uh, Carter Vickers, 25 years old. Of course, he was on the U.S. World Cup team, played against Iran. Going to be out three to four months, so that means no CONCACAF Nations League, probably no Gold Cup too, although doubtful he'd be part of that anyway. Tim Ream also out for the rest of the season. Of course, he's got an arm fracture. So with all that, Herc, who should start at center back? for the U.S. against Mexico on June 15th. Man, I'm, I'm bummed about Cameron Carter-Vickers because he came out of nowhere and really impressed in three- to four-month timeline. I mean, you could speculate what you want in that knee. It could be cartilage, anything like that. So hopefully it goes well for him. Um, who should start in this back line with no Tim Ream, who was CB1 in the eyes of many, and Cameron Carter-Vickers, who did very well at the World Cup? I'm going Miles Robinson, Chris Richards. That's mm. my duo. That's my partnership. That's actually the duo that I was looking forward to during World Cup qualifiers, the duo that many times you would ask me for a World Cup, like who should be penciled in one and two during the World Cup, who I thought in the future would be in that World Cup in Qatar, and I would say Chris Richards, Miles Robinson. Availability to both made that very difficult. First it was Chris Richards getting injured, then it was Miles Robinson with the Achilles injury, uh, then it was both. Uh, this, I feel, has the highest upside, the ceiling there. With these two players, you have a center back pairing that has the ability on the ball and physicality, the speed, the athleticism to give you a different complexion in your back line. Now you can be more aggressive in the way you try to defend and the spaces you leave behind you because you've got two players that are very capable with pace, very capable anticipating uh, said play. So uh, this would be my one and two right now with Tim Ream and Cameron Carter-Vickers out. Okay. I thought you were going to go full troll mode and, and bring back John Brooks or something like that. No? Well, Híjole. there it is. There it is. I got you thinking. Let me throw another name I know, out. The only reason you. I say no right now is because John Brooks hasn't exactly, I mean, he, he's playing better with half an eye, but mm -hmm. he hasn't exactly shown us in anything to come back to the national team level. He wasn't playing at Benfica, right? Yep. Uh, he comes back, and I think just last week he had, he had a, a mistake that led to the opening goal against his team. So, so I'm not saying one mistake will cost him, but I don't think he's shown the level of, the, of his ceiling like we've seen John Brooks before. Can't help but notice you don't pick Walker Zimmerman here. You done with Walker Zimmerman? I'm done with Walker Zimmerman. Just like not done with Aaron Long. I think there's a purpose for players mm -hmm. like that, but they're behind these two players and, and Cameron Carter-Vickers and uh, Tim Ream when he's healthy in the pecking order. I think um, one thing that you're doing here when you talk about these two guys specifically is you're relying a lot on what you hope they will be, right? Like there's not a lot of current form. I'll take form them today. 
I'll, I'll take really? a healthy. I'll take him today. Yes, right, that's my that's biggest. That's a big worry. question with that's both my biggest, guys, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Miles yeah. Robinson coming off a, a serious injury, now getting run with Atlanta United, um, and then with Chris Richards, he's back now, but he's not exactly playing, and he of course yeah. had a long injury layoff as well. Another name I would throw out here is Mark McKenzie, because that is a guy who right now is in form and is doing it in Europe. Yeah. Can I throw one more name out there? Sure. That I was impressed with Austin Trusty. That's another okay. name I I throw out there. But there's more competition than I would have thought. Yeah. There yeah. you go. All right, so we'll see who, the, uh, who ends up at center back for the U.S. against Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. We did mention John Brooks in there, didn't we? This is the uh, Bundesliga weekend slate, of course, available for you on ESPN Plus with a focus on CONCACAF. Joe Scally, who we just heard from, there's his Gladbach taking on Volkham early on Saturday morning. What about his best friend Gio Reyna? Huh? Borussia Dortmund facing off against Wolfsburg and Kevin Paredes on Sunday. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. There it is, a look at the class of 2023 for the National Soccer Hall of Fame. They'll be inducted this weekend down in Frisco, Texas on the guys' side, Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley, Steve Zungle, the indoor legend. On the women's side, Jill Ellis, Lauren Chaney Holiday, and Kate Sobrero Marcraft. What an incredible class indeed, and what an honor for us here on Football Americas to be joined right now by one of the members of the class of 2023, a two-time World Cup winning manager with the U.S. Women's National Team, and somebody I used to chase not across the country, across the world for interviews. She leads a much more peaceful existence now as the president of San Diego Wave Football Club. Congrats and welcome to the show, Jill Ellis. Great to have you. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, you did chase me around. <laughs> I dodged you quite a bit, I think, but uh, yeah, that's all. Yeah, good. as you should. <laughs> yeah, as, as her can tell you, that's something uh, he does on a weekly basis here on the show. So, look, usually you can't ask somebody about the very beginnings of their, their soccer journey because we're always talking about kind of the news of the day. But because you're going into the Hall of Fame, it, it feels almost perfect. So, Jill, let's start at the very beginning. And I know this growing up in D.C. There's legends of the Braddock Road Bluebells. This was an iconic youth team back in the day. So, Jill, take us back to the very, very beginnings and, and your love affair with the game. 
on. Well, I, I grew up in, in England, but that so that's what I think where the actual love affair began. You know, my mom's my mom was Scottish and my father English. So when that derby happened, uh, it was pretty rough in the house because I I was forced to wear the Scottish you know scarf just because we didn't want my mom to be by herself. So football's always been um, you know part of my life. And then when we moved to the states when I was about fifteen, was when you know I'd only played in the backyard with my brother or schoolyard with with friends and guys and. And when I moved to the States, I tried out for this soccer team called the Braddock Road Bluebells. And I remember like I made the team and the only jersey number they had left, because um, I was like the last person was number one. I'm like, oh my God, how obnoxious is that? I don't play in goal. And I got stuck with this jersey number, but that's where it began. I made some great friends and yeah, we had a pretty good team. We, we won nationals. I think it was my senior year in high school, but that's really where I started playing and, and really played formally in terms of, you know, actually on a team with structure. Let's talk about your transition into coaching, Jill. I, I, I'm fascinated by this. One, why on earth would you want to be a coach? Us soccer players are some of the worst human beings on earth. It's never <laughs> our fault. It's always the coach's fault. We complain so much. I mean, what were those early days transitioning into coaching like for you? Well, Herc, you're actually right. I didn't want to be a coach. You know, my <laughs> father was a coach. And, you know, at the time, soccer was just kind of this vehicle for me to, to, to go to school and, and play and have fun and make friends. Um, I actually went into the business world for a couple of years, but I think the calling was there. You know, I used to work every summer for my dad at his camps and my dad's camp. So they were just, it was a smorgasbord of coaches. I mean, coaches from all over the world, from the Caribbean to Europe, um, South America. And so I really got this education in just all the different styles and different ways to teach the game. So I had this, I did love it, but I never intended to be a coach. And, um, and then April Heinrichs, who was our, my senior year in college, she was our assistant coach at William & Mary. She called and said, hey, I've got this job, second assistant position. You know, what do you think? Six grand a year, I think it was. Um, so I think, you know, it was definitely that moment of, a you know, passion over a paycheck. But that's really where I started. And, and honestly, guys, within two months, I knew it was something I loved. Um, you know, I just, the idea of being around a sport I loved and then helping people and, and building teams was just you know, I think it was just something I, I, I couldn't walk away from. And, and that's kind of really where it started in terms of formal coaching. So, Jill, let's fast forward to specifically April of 2014, because I remember this well. I was actually on the assignment for the U.S. Women's National Team broadcast um, for NBC Sports at the time. I wasn't at ESPN yet. And you just taken over. You were an interim at the time. I wonder if you can just take us back to kind of where you were in that moment taking over that team and what your approach was to an interim job that eventually, Jill, leads to the, the Hall of Fame. Well, I remember, I remember Sunil, you know, he, um, you know, obviously they, they let the previous coach go. And, and um, I remember him telling me, you know, we, we want you to take the team. I think they had another game in San Diego, believe it or not. And I remember him sort of saying, well, you know, we want you to take the team down there. And I was kind of like, well, and he goes, well, you don't really have a choice. <laughs> so, okay. So, you know, obviously it was an honor, but, you know, I just, the circumstances were kind of odd and, um, took the team down to San Diego and just really just filled in. And I remember having this conversation with Dan Flynn and he said, you know, I think you should apply. And I said, listen, I, I'll give you a couple of really good candidates. I'll go through the process. And then, you know, if at the end of it, I stand tall and, and I'm your selection, then great. And I do remember it because obviously I'd been an assistant with Pia for a couple of years with the um, Olympic teams in 08 and 12. 
And I, I just went through the process. And as I was preparing for the interview, I remember being like, oh my gosh, I really want this job. <laughs> so then I was like, come on, you know, and I, I interviewed um, and I remember myself and Tony Gustafsson, I think were the two finalists who I ended up hiring as, as my assistant. But, you know, it was at that point that I was like, okay, this is, this is something that I probably never put it verbally and put it outwardly that I wanted to do it, but I knew in my heart. I mean, I loved the international game. It was intoxicating and no greater honor than to coach, uh, you know, the U.S. team um, at the top. So it was it was pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. And at the top you were, you actually won two World Cups with the U.S. Women's National Team 2015-2019. Actually, every time Sebi says, why are the U.S. women number one, he brings up those two World Cups, he brings up the past. You were responsible for those. So what was the, I guess, what was the high point, your greatest achievement while there? Well, listen, I think when I took over, you know, it was this, it was very clear. It had been 16 years, actually, since we'd won a World Cup. Um, and so I think that that was kind of the, you know, the... I'll say the pressure cooker, but it was really this opportunity to um, to bring a world championship home. I mean, listen, we've had tremendous success in in our tradition of our program, you know, back to '91, and then obviously '99. Um, but it had been a long time, and so it was like kind of this opportunity to to put this group of players together. I mean, you know, and I was so blessed; I had such talented players. Um, but we went up there to Canada, and obviously won there. But I think I actually think like one of the biggest, best memories. I had two great memories. I think one was the final in um, in 15 was, you know, for, for Abby Wambach, it was her last world world championship. Uh, she hadn't won. And to put her in, to have her be in that game and finish her career almost on the field as a world champion, um, you know, to this day, I still kind of missed up about it because, you know, here's an iconic player. Same with Hope. You know, Hope had, didn't have that in her, in her resume. And I think it was so deserving that these tremendous players got that as, the, as they ended their careers. But I think 19 was, um, I mean, just to try and go over there and, and play against France, who were just such a formidable opponent, play them in the quarterfinals. And I think that was just an iconic memory because that night was just a spectacle. It was, you know, I could still feel the stadium moving and the excitement and the energy and there was electric. So I think that was probably one of the other great memories of, of the journey. I know we're focused on the positive here, but it's not all, you know, roses when you're the national team manager. You were in charge of this team for, for five years, Jill, as, as kind of the true head of the team. What was your toughest part of that tenure? Well, certainly, I mean, I think, you know, we, we win in 15 and then in 16, we, um, you know, we, we go to the Olympics down in Rio and we, we don't medal. I mean, I think we get knocked out in the quarters against Sweden, um, you know, and that was that was a very obviously low point, not just you know, for, for the program, but on a, on a personal level, you know, you really, you really want to try and go in there and, and get it right. And so I think the, you know, the reality of having to, uh, listen, I knew if, if you hadn't a one in 15, I would have been out, you know, that's just the reality of the job. Right. But I think having the chance to kind of re reload and rebuild a little bit in, um, in 17, you know, I knew it was going to be hard. I said to the players, we're going to have to deepen our roster. Uh, told my bosses, the media, everybody that, that we, would, we would take some lumps as you go through this kind of regrowth. Um, but I wanted us, you know, we wanted to be more tactically flexible. We wanted to have different profiles of players. And through that journey, yeah, I mean, it was tough. I mean, you know, internally there was, um, you know, there was criticism, externally criticism. But, I, you know, I remember my father always saying to me, like when I first started coaching, like literally on the night of my eve of coaching, he said to me, just Jill, you're never a coach until you've been fired. And I'm like, oh, my God, what a terrible thing to say, right? <laughs> the reality of what he was telling me was you've got to coach not to keep your job but in what you believe. And so that period, although it was hard and it was um, 
hard on everybody. We came through that period with players like Rose Lavelle, Sammy Mewis, these players that, you know, had we not gone through that change and change is hard, um, we wouldn't have come out on, I think, on the weak side and have a team built to to go and challenge for a back-to-back -back world championship. So, yeah, it was tough. It was, uh, you know, you take a lot of hits, but part of it's, that's part of coaching, man. I mean, it's just, just uh, I remember Abby Wambach saying to me, like, why do you do this, you know? But the reality is it's, um, you know, it is, it's it's fun. And I wouldn't trade anything, the the highs or the lows. I think it's all part of, part of the journey. As I recall, a young Sebastian Salazar was in Rio. I think I found the jinx, Jill. So uh, there's that one. <laughs> He's right. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> okay. Obviously, there's a World Cup coming up. What are some of the differences or the biggest difference you see in Vlatko's team for maybe some of your teams in the past? I mean, listen, I think more commonalities and differences. Like, you know, you've got, I mean, always, I think the U.S. have always had, um, you know, strong positions in, in goal, always huge attacking personalities i think we see that to this day um you know and i think a midfield that's experienced when you've got rose and and um lindsey haran and potentially Ertz coming back in the mix i think you've got you know really really strong team um you know and again there's some newer players in there i think the the, the blend of of getting veterans with uh with new players i think is critical i i think you go into a world cup i always said you don't win a world cup with a lot of players that have less than 25 30 caps but you also don't win with a completely, you know, veteran team. You've got to, you've got to strike the balance. And so, listen, I think that similar to us, you know, take some knocks along the way, grow from it, learn from it. You really don't learn from games that you go out and win five nil. So the struggles will pay you back if if you manage them right. And I think the, you know, I think player management. That's really what it comes down to in, in a World Cup is. Um, you know, you've got to know the tactics, obviously, and your opponents and all the things you know about your team. But it's how do you manage the personnel? It's it's a people business. All right. So let's get back to the Hall of Fame, because there's a few different ways into the Hall of Fame. Right. You go in as a player, you go in as a veteran manager, you go in as a builder. Mm -hmm. Now, since you left the national team, you've been building, Jill. You've been building San Diego Wave Football Club. Uh, we yeah. follow the NWSL, obviously, every week on this show. We've seen the incredible success that your team has had not just on the field, but off the field as an expansion squad. I know you're not going to give away your secrets, but maybe what are some of the keys that, that you, can, you can point to as far as your success? I mean, no, no secrets. I think it's just, you know, for, I mean, we focus on obviously the soccer first. So I think it was hiring, a, you know, hiring a very experienced coach, um, you know, in Casey and, and then bringing in talent. And yeah, listen, I mean, I knew getting a player like Alex, you know, in our in our market. I mean, I know Alex obviously on the pitch and I know we're off the pitch and I knew it was going to be a slam dunk in terms of bringing someone of that caliber in and then building around that. Um, so I think it's building the team kind of front to back. And then, you know, listen, I way back in the day, I mean, so many great players have come out of here that there, you know, there is a love of, of soccer down here, love of football and I think it was tapping into that. Uh, we have a world-class facility in terms of what we play in the stadium. So it's kind of putting all these pieces. And then it's like, it's just part, it comes down to sheer will. You know, you just, you know, I remember telling my my staff and the media, yeah, we're going to sell out our first game in, in this 34,000 seat stadium or whatever it was. And everyone thought it was crazy. But, you know, I think the, you know, I think when you're, when you're driven and you've got people, great people around you, I think amazing things can happen. So it's been quite the ride, but listen, people ask me what this compared to like coaching. I'm like, Oh my God, it's way freaking more hard <laughs> to do business than it is coach world cups. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I never cared about the stands. I never cared about, you know, the, the sponsorships. Now you're like, come on, how many people are coming through the gate and who are we, who are we talking to today? So, but it's fun. I'm learning a lot.
right, yeah. obviously you're learning a lot. You're having a lot of fun in San Diego. San Diego's a great place. But you've been linked to Major League Soccer in the past, notably D.C. United a couple of years ago. Would you ever consider a job in Major League Soccer like that? Yeah, I would. I, even back then, I didn't put it out of the realm. You know, I, I've always kind of said, you know, I loved it when I hired Casey. Um, you know, one of the things she said is, I want a club that can match my ambition. And that was really, you know, has been my sentiment. So I'd, I would want it to go, you know, I'd want to go to a club that, uh, if I if I chose that route, that yes, really, um, you know, has the ambition to 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 want to be the premier team. Um, you know, we want to build a a club here that's going to be not just the best in in the U.S. but globally, a, a club that people will know and want to come and be a part of. So yeah, I mean, listen, I think I'm a few years gone from coaching in terms of lately, but I I love the game and um, but right now I think my commitment is is very much so to to get in the NWSL and, and women's football um, continue to escalate it because listen, I mean, we get, we get, we get more fans here sometimes than the MLS teams. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, we're doing all right. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think just growing the game and, and the passion for that is where, where I'm rooted right now. Classic Herc, by the way, starts the interview saying, I can't believe you chose to be a coach ends the interview by asking you, why aren't you getting back into coaching? All right. Oh, so no, no. <laughs> I, I, I see why she said no to D.C. So just... Steady, steady. That's my team. That's <laughs> my know. black and red. All right, there she is, Jill Ellis. Jill, thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas. Congrats again. Such a well-deserved honor, and uh, really enjoy the weekend. Congrats, my Jill. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Herc, let's move to Liga MX and the latest segment of Book It. We got to make some picks here. We got the repechaje or play-in coming this weekend. We got a couple games on Saturday, Cruz Azul Atlas, Pachuca Santos, and then a doubleheader on Sunday, Leon, San Luis, Tigres, and Puebla. You're going to handle Saturday, Herc. What are you picking? Uh, let see. Cruz Azul Atlas, I will take... Atlas, the money line, a plus 282. Listen, since Atlas Whoa. lost to Cruz Azul, which was week seven, they've only lost two games out of the last 12. One in CCL play versus Philly, the other versus Leon in week 11. On top of that, Julian Quinones, their goal scorer, is on fire. Eight goals in the last six games. This has Atlas upset written all over it with the Cruz Azul team that's only won once in the last four games. Mm. In that span, that one in four, by the way, he took losses to Club America, took losses to Chivas, and Drew Leon. I like this one here. I like this plus two, what is it, 282? I'll take that. Okay, and what about Pachuca Santos? Oh yeah, I gotta do Pachuca Santos, right? Yeah, this, mm -hmm. th Pachuca just missed out by one point on like that final direct playoff spot to Toluca. They got fifth place. Uh, they're a team that's on the up. Chicho Arango, I repeat, Chicho Arango, we found him. He scored in his last four games. He is here. They're playing better. They're playing well. And they're going against Santos. And this one hurts, but Santos not supposed to be here. Right. There's supposed to be 12 teams that make it to this uh, play-in race. Uh, Querétaro, a team that 
got relegated and has to pay the fine. By rule, they cannot go into the big dance. They can't go into the promotion, the wild card game. So who takes their place? Loli Santos, who's been struggling. They just fired their coach, like, what, a week ago? Uh, I'll take Pachuca on this one. All right, so Pachuca and Atlas. Herc picking the, uh, the upset then on Saturday. All right, let me focus in on Sunday here. We've got a couple of very interesting matchups. Now, of course, it must be said, everything that happens between now, specifically right now, and this game on Sunday matters to the picks of this game. So don't go out right now and place these bets, okay? Let's wait for some lineups. Let's see what happens tonight in the CONCACAF <laughs> Champions League where Tigres and Leon are facing off, okay? Because, Herc, I don't know, you would know this better than I would. I don't know how winning or losing a CONCACAF Champions League semifinal impacts a team a few days later. Uh, what I do know is that we talk all the time on this show about the mediocrity of Liga Mekis, and nowhere is that more evident than in the postseason, than in the playoffs, right? They let everybody in, 12 of the 18 teams, and that's what you've got here when you're talking about Puebla and you're talking about Atletico San Luis. Tigres and Leon, for me, are clearly the better sides in these matchups. So, between Tigres and Puebla, I'm taking Tigres to win and over two and a half goals. I believe Tigres has some goals in them, certainly when it comes to the playoffs. And Puebla just dropped five in their last game of the season. So they should be at least worth a goal there. Maybe a 2-1. That would get the job done. Leon over Atletico San Luis. Sorry, my guy. Sorry, Mauricio Pedrosa. I'm taking Leon money line there. You add those two together, your payout is plus 240, which, again, on a $100 bet, that's $240 coming your way. What do you think about my Sunday parlay? It's a difficult one, man. I didn't want to touch a Sunday parlay. It's a mm -hmm. difficult one because, like you said, you got to wait and see how they come into this matchup. Uh, it's gonna, will they go into overtime uh, tonight in the midweek Ch CONCACAF Champions League game? Uh, what's going to happen? Who's available? What kind of a mixed state will they be in? It's a very tough one. But just on paper, those two teams should be the teams advancing. Wait for the lineups. That's all I have to say, at least about Sunday's game. Maybe a Saturday you can already uh, go ahead and get your bets in. Here's a look at what the SPI says about who will be joining the top four in the quarterfinals. Tigres and Leon, clear favorites. Pachuca, Cruz Azul, slightly less favorites, but still favored over Santos and Atlas, respectively. All right, let's hop across the ocean. Run it back, La Liga. Anthony Lozano, the Honduran playing for Cadiz. Go a ahead, golazo. Go ahead, Choco Lozano. There's my guy. Look at that. Vamos Honduras. First goal of the season. The, uh, the only highlight for Cadiz on the day as they ended up losing 5-1 against Atletico Madrid. But uh, shout out there, the CONCACAF representation, the Honduran Lozano with the goal in the Spanish top flight. All right, Herc, our favorite time of the show. Remember, we thrived in Czech Dimensions in our trip to Qatar. Let's see what the people want to talk about right now. Messi is set to leave PSG. Yeah, that was the... Uh, Big report today from Fabrizio Romano. How would you rank his options between Saudi Arabia, MLS, and Barcelona? Go on, Herc. Oh, all right. Um, let me go from back to front. It's virtually almost impossible for Barcelona to sign Lionel Messi because of how much in debt they are in. They would have to unload a bunch of different contracts, saw different Go players. to the loony bin with me. Let's just assume they could make it happen. Then how would it? Then how would you rank his destination? If we could assume they could make it happen, Barcelona would be number one. Okay. If we could assume they could make it happen, 
Messi would want to end this way, I think so. His family loves it in Barcelona. Barcelona would want him to end as a Barcelona player. Uh, it would probably be like a one-off, one-year deal, and then you're done uh, to retire type of deal. Uh, but it doesn't make any sense sporting-wise. La Liga's best defensive team with 11 goals against. Uh, but, yeah, I, the producer said financially. But he wants me to go to Looney Bin, producer, so I'm going to the Looney Bin with him. Um, it's not a possibility financially. This is why it's number three in the rankings out of those three. Now, 320 million euros a season is what's being reported in Saudi Arabia. I don't know. It's a lot of money. But Messi doesn't strike me as the person that is motivated by money. Listen, before Patrick Mahomes had his half a billion dollar deal, all that thing's going up, Messi was blowing that out of the water like at 650, almost 700 million at Barcelona like years ago. So I don't think he's especially motivated by money. He has money. I think this is more about comfort and ending the way he wants to. And more family than anything. I think it's MLS. I think everything screams Major League Soccer. Listen, Argentina has already put in installations, facilities uh, in Miami. Um, they would love Per Felipe Cardenas and his report of him being the face of that, being in Major League Soccer with Miami. David Beckham was just in Paris, went to the PSG training ground. There's a reported meeting between the two. We know about Jorge Mas, Messi's father and agent, meeting with Don Garber. We know that MLS season passed on Apple. They could use this uptick in subscriptions and a player like Messi would tick all those boxes. If I had to rank him, I would say MLS, Saudi Arabia, Barcelona, realistically. Um, and if you want to throw Rosario in there just because you want wow. you know, poops and giggles, go, go ahead. <laughs> but Rosario would probably be fourth. Dude, I think it's got to be MLS, and I'm basing this on Don Garber's comments. So we, we, as we often do on this show, screamed at each other over what Don Garber said, which took all the headlines, which is, is Messi going to be the biggest athlete ever in the United States? But it was other parts of that interview, Herc, that were, for me, very telling, right? Don Garber and MLS in general, they like to keep things close to the vest. But this is what he's saying, not behind closed doors, not as a source, on a hot mic to media. Quote, we have been pretty effective at coming up with clever ways to sign players for our clubs in the right market. It's very real time and I hope that we're able to get in front of the discussion and hopefully bring something over the finish line. On top of that, he's not being shy. He's, he says in another part of this interview that it's gonna be Miami. Like, there's not even an idea that it could be anyone else. If Don Garber is talking like this, and he doesn't bring Messi. He's the biggest tease out there, right? There's no way Don Garber is this confident if he doesn't know Lionel Messi's coming. Man, you know, we read a lot on this show. We, we investigate, we read a lot, we look at reports, we try to bring good content to the good people. How many times have you read that it's almost done over the line? Mm. Sure, there are talks. Absolutely. Yeah. How could we be so naive as to not believe that Jorge Mas, uh, and yes, one of the owners, David Beckham, Jorge Messi, and Leo Messi aren't involved in some sort of talks, aren't nibbling here and there, aren't engaging in some sort of attraction, if you will. Mm -hmm. Of course this is happening. Let's go. Messi to MLS. Will it be 2023 or will it be 2024? I think that's all that's left to be decided. Let's keep checking the mentions here on Football Americas. Let's see what the good people from Twitter have brought up. Hey, we know this guy, Nachito. Will Big Sam Allardyce save Leeds American United or were they destined to fail with the squad that Jesse Marsh built? What do you think? Big Sam says he's just like Pep and Klopper, so the, the men's, the U.S. men's national team should be in good shape, right? <laughs>
By the way, he was leading the witness with the Jesse Marsh shot he took yes. at the end there. Uh, Sam Allardyce, you are not Pep, you are not Klopp. We understand that. You, and yes, you could be a bit old um, from what you were trying to say you're not. Uh, look, I'm looking at this right now. Can he save them? Easy Money will tell you no. Not very likely. They're 11 points. Listen, 11 points separate Crystal Palace, who's in 11th place, uh, with 40 points, and Everton, who's in 19th place, with 29 points. It's very tight. Leeds sit at 17th with 30 points. Uh, he's got experience. Uh, he's been there. He's done that with clubs like uh, Sunderland, right? Crystal Palace, Everton, when they were in relegation battles, he saved them. But I'm looking at this, 31 games with Sunderland, 24 with Crystal Palace, 26 with Everton. Like You had more time than the four games that you're going to have here to work. And who are those four games, by the way? Man City, top of the league. And I understand that they'll probably be focused on Real Madrid in that Champions League uh, coming up tie. So you maybe... I don't think so. The, the second team's still going to take Leeds, who, who's not very good. Newcastle, who sit at third. West Ham, who are in their own relegation battle, sitting at 15th. I've already explained how tight the table is there. Spurs, who are sixth. You're like, well, they're comfortable at sixth, not going anywhere. Hold on a second. They're actually playing, fighting for Europa League because they're not safe. Um, ninth place, Brentford, uh, who have Europa League aspirations, who are only four points away from Spurs. It's not easy at all. And the worst thing is, Leeds is terrible. Leeds, Leeds is no good defensively. <laughs> like, in the last five games, they shipped 20 goals against, Seb. I, I can't sit here and say, ah, oh, Big Sam, yeah, I'm buying into this. Whether or not we believe the comments are to make his players buy into it. Yeah, he's the ultimate bombero, no? So, I think <laughs> no. in the short term, maybe, maybe he helps Leeds United. In the long term, I don't think this is particularly good for the U.S. men's national teamers because Sam Allardyce is not really known, even if he keeps his team up, as like a development guy. And all these guys are in a part of their career where they need to keep developing. So uh, let's keep developing with what's next on Check the Mentions. See what, uh, what else we got here. Bill, Bill Reese says, what happens first? LA Galaxy fire Chris Klein, the Red Bulls fire their manager, Gerhard Struber, or the end of the universe? <laughs> uh, Herc? Well, let's hope not the end of the universe. Uh, I would say New York pulling the plug on, on Struber. Yeah, that okay. would be... Um, for a few reasons. The sporty reason, you could say New York's not been very good. Um, the incident that happened um, earlier on the season uh, with the very clear and obvious racism and how he handled said incident. Uh, and mostly because I don't see the Galaxy firing Klein right now. I mean, mm. if they're willing to alienate all their supporters the way that they have and say, we basically don't care, and we understand that this president cheated, and yeah, we're gonna give him an extension because he cheated, we're still happy anyways, and we don't care that the team's losing, like, if they've come this far, they're not going to do it. If they know that they can't make any summer transfers because their president cheated and they're still okay with it, they're not going to do it. They're not getting rid of Chris Klein. They're not getting rid of Greg Vanny. So the guy that put Greg Vanny, the guy who's made all these mistakes, can go ahead and put somebody else in charge. Nothing is going to happen. The only thing that's going to happen is they're going to continue to disappoint you in ways that they've already shown they have. Uh, the ABC, the Angel City Brigade, um, what, what, what they've done, they, they've managed to divide and conquer it, the FO. They infiltrated a fan base and said, hey, we'll cater to you to get you back in the stadium. And in doing so, you divided this fan base. You divided this protest, which I never thought was a protest to begin with. 
this boycott, if you will. It could be a protest, but it's not a boycott. And we can see that by you watching the games, you going to the games, you buying concessions, you buying merchandising. They are doing what they want, and they will continue to do what they want. So, Struber. Galaxy have won one out of ten so far this season. Red Bulls have won one out of ten. Hopefully something happens for the, uh, for the sake of fans on the East Make a decision, Sebi. What will happen first? New York Red Bull, I think. I think you're right. Okay, last question here on Check the Mentions on this Wednesday edition of Football Americas. Felix asks, has Coach Vladko Andonovsky made the U.S. Women's National Team a better team since the 2020 Olympics, which of course we know we're in 2021. Herc, what do you think? No. I, I don't, and you could argue maybe that's not all on Vladko, it's more player pool, but Mm-hmm. I've been saying this for a while, and you've been firm on your stance that the U.S. women are still number one in the world. Forget about the ranking says, that they're still number one in your eyes when the clear evidence is the rest of the world has not only caught up, but are better at certain things. They're better at certain things like player development, and they will continue to make waves and outpace the U.S. women's national team at the rate they're going. I don't think they're a better team um, than what we saw. Uh, they're a younger team now. Sure, you can argue that, but a better team? I don't think you can make the case. So this doesn't ask better than the 2019 World Cup. This asked the 2020 Olympics, which, to be fair, Vladko Nanovsky was in charge of that, so he's also kind of on the hook for that. They didn't play very well in that tournament. You might be able to argue that, you know, on a very small scale, they're playing better now than in that tournament. But I can't sit here and tell you that Vladko Nanovsky has made this team better. One of his mandates was to refresh the roster, and he's done that. But I think until we see what they do at the World Cup, I can't sit here and tell you that they've, they've looked better on the field uh, than they did at the end under Jill Well, Ellis. you retract that they're still the favorites? I'm a stubborn SOB, Herc. Of course they're still the favorites. <laughs> Not the one, but the two-time defending a World Cup champion, U.S. Women's National Team. All right, uh, one more thing before we get out of here. We're not parting shot, parting shots, because we got uh, USL action going on tonight. We'll start in the championship. Christian Sorto of Miami FC against Birmingham. It's a golazo, freaking golazo. I love Miami's just kit. Like, the whole thing is very smooth. The color mm-hmm. scheme, I like the little like aqua. And this is a Dolphins, Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, Birmingham, by the way, came into this game in first in the Eastern Conference. So shout out to Miami. USL League One, Aaron Walker of Greenville against the Charlotte Independents. Oh no, goalkeeper. Oh no, goalkeeper. How do you dive without your hands? <laughs> no, I'm being serious with this. Did it get deflected? My man dove without his hands. He thought his eyes were going to catch the ball. Yes, that looked like a FIFA glitch. Uh, shout out to the fighting John Harks, Greenville winning there by a final score of 3-1 to one earlier tonight in USL League One action. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Football Americas. We're not back Thursday. Take the rest of the week off, but we will be back on Monday, an exclusive one-on-one with Kristen Press of Angel City FC. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.